Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 261 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. What are we doing here right now? Uh, there's a game against Notre Dame tonight, and like, uh, you know, we should be waiting till after the Notre Dame game to talk, right? Well, that just didn't turn out to be the case because we got some big news about Duke in just the past several hours. And there was just a bevy of other things we wanted to chat about. We were all talking about what we're going to say, you know, for our next podcast. And it was just turning out to be too much content. And so we said, you know what? The peoples love it when we talk to them. So we are going to talk to them more, 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 more. And so here we are on the morning before the Duke's next game to talk about all kinds of things, but not talk about the game because we already talked about that. We already previewed it. I'm rambling. I'm Jason Evans. I'm your host this morning. I'm joined by Sam and Donald. Sam, how's it going there in big Boston? It's good. It is Wednesday morning as we speak. The large snowstorm is, I I believe, starting to accumulate in the southern Appalachian region and is going to be making its way up here tonight. So it's a lovely but very cold day right now. By this time tomorrow, I think we're going to be covered in like a foot of snow. So that's exciting. Something that I cannot relate to down here in Atlanta. Donald Wine, you get snow there in Washington, right, Donald? Yeah, so uh, Sam, you'll appreciate this because every year it's a tradition here that uh, snowstorms here in D.C. And remember, I'm from Michigan, so I know some snow. Snowstorms here are always overhyped and under and just like underwhelming. So last week when they predicted the snowstorm was going to actually happen, they were expecting this to get at least 12 to 16 inches of snow. Now, that was six days ago. They've adjusted their forecast throughout this whole week. And yesterday, they basically gave us the final prediction. Capital Weather Gang, if you don't follow them, they're amazing. I don't care if you live in D.C. or not. But they were basically like, yeah, remember when we said it was going to be 12 to 16 inches? We're going to be lucky if we get a trace of snow. We're basically getting all rain here. Uh, the snow is going towards uh, Sam and Boston. Every, and here's the thing. Everyone parts North Philly, New York, Boston, they all are getting significant snow. We will get absolutely nothing. One of the great traditions growing up in suburban Washington is the preemptive school cancellation followed by sunny day. It happened almost without fail once a year. I will say they if, if you thought that because we're living in a pandemic and people are, are going to school virtually that you can't have school canceled. Oh, no. Loudoun County has already canceled their schools already including virtual classes. So look, the kids the need day, to go out and play in the snow. The snow Regardless, days are still happening. It doesn't matter. The, the people need to play in the snow. That is a requirement. We'll be doing that here. And, and that's just what it is. But I think we have a lot of both basketball and football to talk about. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. I was going to say, you're talking about playing. We got to talk about who is playing for Duke basketball and who was no longer playing for Duke football. We're going to start with the basketball news. Uh, The news came down yesterday afternoon in the fine tradition of Zion Williamson and Marvin Bagley and Kyrie Irving and more players than we can count. Yes, another Duke star freshman has a leg injury. I shouldn't sound excited because this is bad news. (laughs) Uh, This time it is uh, Duke's top top rebounder, number three scorer. Jalen Johnson has hurt his foot. We don't have much detail at all about what has been hurt other than the part of the body. Um, We don't know exactly what kind of thing it is or how long he will be out. Duke says it's indefinite. The shroud of secrecy that always surrounds the Duke program and the Duke players is in full effect on this one. Uh, He's definitely missing the Notre Dame game, but obviously this is a, you know, if you have to miss some time, 
you know, Duke's about to take a, a, almost a two week break. So that's not the worst time to miss. What, what's the impact? Um, Donald, I'll start with you. What's the impact of Duke missing Jalen Johnson? Well, it's big. It, 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 I mean, as you've seen throughout the first two games, he's been a great scorer. He's been a great rebounder. He's been a guy that can change the course of a basketball game with his play. And when he's on the court, other teams have to prepare for him. So uh, it, it's definitely a big loss. We We've had foot injuries going back to when I started. Jason, I don't know if you know, knew what the fifth metatarsal was uh, when you were in school, but I know it was basically a required, it was a graduation requirement that you need to know where the fifth metatarsal is and how long, if you break it, it will be out because every year we had somebody who broke that stupid bone uh, and it's carried on since then. So hopefully it's not too serious. Hopefully indefinite, as you said, means he's missing tonight and the, he'll get the two weeks off and maybe be back for pit or, you know, early on in the ACC season, but we just don't know. So it's hard to say, what the effect is going to be long-term. I just know tonight it, we're going to be missing him because he's, he's providing that catalyst on the offensive end and especially on the defensive end. I feel like the thing we're going to miss is his speed and athleticism against Notre Dame. His ability to grab the rebound and go, go, go is a big part of what makes Duke really successful. And it's something that Notre Dame is not comfortable doing. And I, I feel like it's something that would have been very effective against Notre Dame. I mean, l- let's make it clear though. This is a guy who scored 19 points in his first game, 11 points in his second game, nine points in his third game, only seven points against Illinois. Jalen's clearly, you know, an impact player for Duke, but I think there are opportunities here for other players to step up. I I don't want to look at this and just say, oh, this is terrible and a negative. I want to take this negative and try and turn it into a positive. So Sam, I'm going to ask you, and I'll ask all three of us, but I'll ask Sam first, who benefits who is the guy in the Duke team who now gets more playing time, more opportunity? Um, there are a couple obvious choices, and there, you know, there are also ways you could go off the board on this um, because I think there are a lot of different ways that Duke could shift their lineup. And so I'll ask you, who's the guy who you think steps up with us not having Jalen Johnson? I'm glad you brought up Johnson's ability to lead the break because I think that's the most impactful part of his game that nobody else on the team has. So no one can grab as many rebounds and start the break the way that Jalen Johnson can on this team. And no one's going to step in and do that. Matthew Hurt is not all of a sudden going to be running the break. He's not capable of that. So where it comes to replacing Johnson, I think there are two places you look. One is his impact down low, where we're going to need more rebounds and and more aggressiveness around the basket at both ends of the floor. I think that Mark Williams is the guy that that benefits from Johnson not being in there. He doesn't bring exactly the same skill set, but he's going to need to be playing more minutes to grab those rebounds to allow Matthew Hurt to stay outside where he is most effective. On the ball handling end, I think it's a it's a shared benefit if you can call it that for basically everybody that handles the ball. That's Wendell Moore. That's Jordan Goldwire. That's Jeremy Roach. All these guys are going to need to do more to fill in the places where Johnson is is missing on the court. I think Mark Williams is the biggest benefit benefactor of Jalen Johnson being out, but I can see all the guards benefiting as well. It's a few extra minutes for each of them to be handling the ball in in up and down situations. Donald, your turn. Who do you think gets the most minutes as a result of this? I'm not sure about who gets the most minutes, but I think the person who has the most immediate benefit from this, and and I hate to say benefit with someone being out, especially Jalen Johnson, but that guy is Jamin Brakefield. 
I mean, Jamin Brakefield has come in for Jalen Johnson these past few games. When Jalen Johnson gets into foul trouble, he's been our best guy off the bench uh, throughout the first you know, quarter of the season, we'll call it. And I think he's the guy that probably stands to, to gain the most time on the court because maybe he moves into the starting lineup in that place as a, as a direct replacement. Maybe he's the first off the bench and plays longer minute or, or plays more minutes off the bench comes in earlier. Uh, but I, I think he's the guy that, you know, I'm looking tonight to see make an impact uh, where Jalen Johnson is not there. So the two of you identified, I think the, the two obvious and, and, and you know, it, it's, it's not that they're obvious in a bad way. They're obvious because those are the two guys that I think most people would say are the ones who benefit the most in terms of playing time, in terms of opportunity. And I, I strongly suspect that we're going to see one of those two guys, either Mark Williams or Jamin Brakefield, in the starting lineup tonight when they might not have otherwise been there had Jalen Johnson been around. But I'm going to go off the board a little bit. And I'm going to say that the guy who benefits in terms of getting an opportunity is either Henry Coleman or Patrick Tepe. I think one of those two guys, th- this, this means that Duke is missing, you know, Jalen Johnson isn't a center, but he was sort of filling that kind of role for Duke. Uh, the guy, you know, who's expected to stay mostly around the basket, grab the rebounds, be a post presence and, uh, you know, and prevent teams from getting to the rim if he can, especially when Mark Williams is not in the game. I, I actually think there could be a chance for uh, Coleman and Tepe have not played very much thus far this season. And I think, having one less guy in that big man rotation may give either one of them an opportunity to play a little bit more. Um, there's, there's just more opportunity in the rotation. So I'm not saying those guys suddenly, you know, take Jalen Johnson's minutes, but I think they'll take a couple of them and a couple more minutes for either one of those guys could produce something that's surprising. I am glad that you mentioned those two, because I, I do think you're right. You know, even with, with Sam and I talking about the, the guys who are, going to move maybe into the starting lineup or play a little bit more minutes that trickles all the way down to the last guys on the uh, scholarship guys on the bench. So uh, I'm glad you mentioned those two because we're going to need them tonight. They're going to need to make an impact in those minutes that they do get on the court. I'm not sure how much more they'll get, but the opportunity is there for them. They need to take advantage of it. I'm curious how much coach K redesigns the offensive sets to be either more heavily weighted towards big men because you're going to see more of them subbing in in place of Johnson, or if he's just going to go smaller with Matthew Hurt sort of playing the the only big man minutes for some stretches of the game. I don't think that's going to happen a ton, but you could see more of it where you're just going to have more guards on the floor. I am sure that (laughs) Wendell Moore has been doing everything he can over the last week while the team has been off to get better. And so if I was going to make a prediction out of this, Wendell Moore steps up and despite not taking a lot of the exact role that Jalen Johnson plays is going to be playing better in his absence. Well, and there are people out there who think that the two, the two veterans who have struggled thus far this year, Wendell Moore and Joey Baker could easily step into this role. I mean, Joey Baker from a size standpoint you know, he can play some some small ball four and Wendell Moore can as well. It may not fit like it may, it may not feel like it fits their skills, but I think either one of those guys could could see, an, a, you know, more opportunities. And, and maybe this maybe this role as a small ball four fits either one of them a little bit more than playing purely on the wing where there's a little more ball handling and they both struggled a bit with that this season. All right, guys, so we're going to move on from Jalen Johnson and his busted foot. We do hope he comes back as soon as possible. We hope that you know, everything goes seamless for Duke 
and, and the team gets better and guys have big opportunities. And then Jalen comes back and the team is way better for it. But we're going to move on from that to a different topic, which is someone else leaving Duke uh, and, and not leaving for an indeterminate point of time. Uh, it is Chase Bryce. Uh, we hardly knew you, Chase. He, is the, he was the quarterback for the Blue Devils this past football season, and he was only at Duke for one year. And then he said, you know what? Sayonara. I'm going someplace else. He's moving on. Um, he's entered the NCAA transfer portal um, and, and will seek playing time elsewhere. Uh, Sam, I'll go to you first. You know, what, what's your feeling? What, what's the impact of Chase Bryce not being at Duke anymore? I am, first of all, very surprised that the whole Chase Bryce thing didn't work out for Duke. Duke on the football side and on the basketball side, but let's talk about the football team for a second. Duke has not had graduate transfers come in and make a big impact before. You know, we, we've, we've had guys like that show up, but it hasn't been the star player. So Chase Bryce was somewhat of an experiment in that world. And I thought he's coming from a very successful program. He was a highly touted recruit. The playing time that he did get at Clemson went pretty well. Now, obviously, Clemson has advantages baked in that have nothing to do with Chase Bryce. But I thought you bring a guy like that with experience and a high ranking into a program that's run by David Cutcliffe and a program where David Cutcliffe committed to being more a part of the offensive game planning this year than he had in years past. I thought this is a recipe for success. I think we said so in the spring when Bryce announced that he was transferring in. And I think a combination of maybe some kind of cultural or, or fit issue combined with the effect of the pandemic being guys can't be on campus, guys can't work out together, they don't have as much time to to install a new system. All of that sort of worked against Chase Bryce ever really integrating with this team and and becoming the the leader and star player that everyone sort of expected him to be. And and you saw when he decided to transfer and when he announced he was coming to Duke, Clemson fans all over the internet were saying, "Congratulations to you. Good luck. We can't wait to see you in the ACC Championship game." That was the whole sentiment for Chase Bryce and the whole thing fell flat on its face. So, I'm really disappointed that it didn't work out. I didn't in in our limited time with him, I didn't detect that that there was anything I didn't like personally about Chase Bryce. He seemed really committed to the whole thing and he was excited to be at Duke and was excited to be attending the business school. So that, that was cool, but I don't know, for some reason it, it just didn't work out for him. I am glad that he, he came to this conclusion. I think it's really mature to realize that, you know, because he has another year left. We, you know, he's in the transfer portal. He could have come back. He could have competed for, for the spot again next year. I think it shows a sign of maturity that he was like, you know what? It's not working here. The coaches are, are, have, have been great to me and everything, but I'm just going to figure out where I can do this somewhere else and has moved on. It doesn't seem like there are particularly hard feelings on either side and I'll wish him well. I mean, honestly, when you think about Chase Price, he actually has two years left because he transferred in as a junior and he's getting this year back because of COVID. So he still has two years after this to, you know, you know, flourish somewhere else. Marriages sometimes don't work out. You know, we thought it was a good marriage and sometimes they don't work out. It was a disappointing season uh, by all metrics. We, we had, as Sam said, great expectations of what he could do. Uh, and it just, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So, I mean, I'm not, I don't think it's a, a bad thing that he's choosing to say, Hey, let me try and get a fresh start somewhere else. Uh, you know, it's unclear where he's going, but 
like I said, he'll have two years of eligibility left wherever he ends up. I hope he ends up in a better situation. Best of luck to him wherever he goes. I thank him for his time in Durham. I just wish the season had gone a little bit better, but you know, you can't, it's not always going to happen the way you draw, draw it up. And this year for everyone, it did not go the way we drew it up. So uh, best of luck to Chase. Uh, I hope he does well elsewhere. I, I honestly, you know, just like Clemson fans wished us well when we got him, I wish whoever lands Chase Bryce well as well. So, so sort of like with the Jalen Johnson situation, I see something like this and I want to think about, okay, well, who, who, who gets the opportunity now? And, and there, there are several different names that are possibilities. And, and I actually, there's a piece of me that wonders a little bit if Coach Cutcliffe may have said to Chase Bryce, hey, you were the star this year, but there's going to be a real competition next year with, you know, blank. And, and that, you know, perhaps Chase Bryce said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go someplace else where I feel more comfortable about my, my playing time. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but I, if I could see that kind of thing happening, it wouldn't shock me for that to happen. The guys who who are currently in the Duke program, who would seem to be contenders for this. The, the most obvious one is Luca Diamant who played in the FSU game. Um, he had an interception, but, but he didn't look awful in that game. Uh, he's just a, a, a red shirt freshman. This is a kid who, who would have a lot of time still in the program. Um, and there are a lot of people who have pretty high hopes for him. Gunnar Holmberg is another one who is currently at Duke. Um, you know, again, played, played a bit this season, not, not a ton, um, but, but I'm also looking to Duke has two QB recruits coming in Riley Leonard and Jordan Moore. They're both three star recruits. They aren't like guys who you would think would automatically step in, but you know, it crazier things have happened. There, there will be an interesting little quarterback battle next year to see who, who takes over running this team. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And the difference between Chase Bryce and all the other guys you just mentioned is that Chase Bryce is more of a pro style quarterback. And those other guys can do multiple things. They can run and they can pass. That's sort of the style that we've seen coach cut uh, want at the quarterback spot. So taking Chase Bryce was kind of a risk in that form because we had to kind of retool an offense around that style of quarterback. And again, it just didn't work out. So it seems like he's moving back to the more, you know, for him, traditional sense of I want someone who can run and throw the ball and have and be multi-threat because that is the kind of offense that he thinks that Duke can flourish in. Yeah, so lots of interesting things happening in the Duke programs. We're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to go outside of Duke. We're going to talk about the ACC. There's a new commissioner coming into the conference, and perhaps the thing he's most famous for is his son. We'll explain in just a moment. All right, guys, we're back from the break, and the ACC has a new commissioner. It's kind of a, su a surprise. It is uh, James J. Phillips, who was the athletic director at Northwestern. Now, in case you haven't checked your ACC membership lately, Northwestern, not a part of the ACC. The, the conference has broken with 70 years of tradition and is picking someone from outside the conference, uh, a guy who is in the Big Ten. Um, Sam, I'll, I'll, I'll go to you first. You know, are you excited about this? Do you think this is a, a smart move by the conference? James Phillips has a very good reputation. It's unconventional in the realm of ACC commissioners because he's not an ACC guy. I think he's the first non-ACC person to, to get this job. He's never worked at a school that was in the ACC, although he used to work at Notre Dame under Kevin White, but that was 
before Notre Dame sort of half joined the conference. So it's interesting that the ACC went outside the family a little bit here to field its new commissioner. I think, though, in the scope of what conference commissioners are doing these days, Jim Phillips kind of checks all the boxes. He's been an AD at a at a Power Five program. He's been at Northwestern for 12 years and has overseen a lot of growth for them. Obviously, they hired Chris Collins a few years ago and made the NCAA tournament for the first time. We can yada yada our way past the part where they haven't been so good the last few years. And then on the football side, they have risen to to pretty great heights relative to Northwestern. They've made the Big Ten championship game. They've been competitive in a lot of games, save for against. I guess Ohio State, but name a Big Ten team that is regularly competitive with Ohio State. And they've done a ton of upgrades and renovations to various Northwestern athletic facilities during that time. So by all the standards of being a good AD at a school where it knows its its expectations, great. He is a He's an excellent pick. He sort of fits the mold, and it's good to bring a guy who comes from, let's face it, the most powerful conference in in college sports is the big 10. They have the most money. They have the most fans. They get the biggest TV contract, regardless of what you think about, about their geography and the cities that they represent and, and the schools and all that stuff. The big 10 is the most powerful conference in college sports. So it's great to have somebody from that conference. If we're thinking about how, how this looks sort of in the, in the grander scale of player empowerment and social justice and all the changes that are coming to college sports, I think this is a big meh hire for the ACC. I don't know. I, obviously, he's he's been somewhat in the in the middle of it, where Northwestern had the had the lawsuit from the football players who were trying to unionize. I can't find in the in the past few hours that we've been thinking about this hire for the ACC. I can't find where Jim Phillips has made any particularly strong statements about where college sports is going. I, I get the feeling like he's more of a status quo guy than anything else. And I'm a little disappointed that the ACC didn't say, look, the winds are changing in a lot of ways in college sports, and we need to hire somebody who understands all of those dynamics and and is open to change. And they really didn't do that. So as far as stewarding the ACC relative to big to the other big conferences, great hire in Jim Phillips. As far as recognizing change and and being at the forefront of it, I'm a little underwhelmed. So I will tell everyone that uh, when when you type in new ACC commissioner into Google, you know, Google will sort of auto fill in the, the next thing that it thinks you want to see. Um, Google auto fills in new ACC commissioner's son because Jim Phillips's son was a very famous meme. Uh, Northwestern was losing a basketball game and his son was in the stands and he was quite upset that uh, you know, daddy's school was about to lose the game and he was crying and it's captured on camera and it's become a pretty famous meme. Um, I, 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 I don't want Jim Phillips to only be known as the dad of the crying kid in the meme. <laughs> uh, th- this is a guy who, who comes from a, a, a school with a strong academic background. I think that is very important for the ACC. The ACC has a lot of schools that have very strong academics. Um, Duke obviously being one of them. Um, so, uh, Phillips is someone who understands, you know, sort of the tug and the pull of the academic side versus the athletic side. Um, I, I also know that he is, uh, he's someone that, that the Big Ten was very, very high on. Uh, and Donald's going to talk about this, I think, in a minute. Uh, Big Ten, there are a lot of people there who thought he was going to be the next commissioner of the Big Ten. So, Sam, like you say, the ACC 
plucked a guy who who the big boys really wanted. The ACC is a big boy, not as big as the Big Ten, and and we got him. And I think that's that's very good for the ACC. And and the last thing I want to note is, I I think he can maybe be someone who the ACC has been a conference that has been pretty local. It's been very focused on the Carolinas for a long, long period of time. The conference's footprint has grown, but the sort of focus of the conference hasn't grown. And I think Phillips could be someone who understands, hey, we're up in Boston College, we're up in Syracuse, we're down in Florida, we're, we're, we have a much, we're in Louisville, we're in a larger footprint than we used to be. And, and having our home base in Greensboro maybe isn't the right place for it. And I could see him perhaps deciding to move the ACC's headquarters to a, a more cosmopolitan place. Charlotte, Atlanta, Washington would all be possibilities that I think would make a lot of sense for the ACC and perhaps help bring the conference out of the days of, hey, it, you know, look, we've heard the jokes that the ACC is really all about the Carolinas, all about the big four. Um, and and I, I think even though we're Duke, presumably someone who benefits from that, I think it's good for the conference to have someone with a bit of a more national scope. All right, Donald, I teased this. I want you to talk to me now. You're someone from Big Ted country. Talk about what the Big Ten thinks about this guy. Yeah, I, I was digging into the dirt uh, in the Big Ten because uh, those are my old stomping grounds. And I will tell you this. You mentioned that he was a, a guy that the Big Ten was high on. I think you're selling it a bit short. He was the finalist for the Big Ten commissioner's job after Jim Delaney left. The other leading candidate was Kevin Warren. Kevin Warren ended up getting a job. And Kevin Warren has had a disaster of a year in charge with how the Big Ten has handled football, with the pandemic and other things. I've heard from several people that they they really think that Jim uh, that Jim Phillips got away, that we stole him, uh, and that that was someone that they were hoping that they could get rid of Kevin Warren this year and call on Jim Phillips to kind of fix things up. The reason why that they're so high on him, and the reason why that they a lot of them are really upset that we are getting him today is because one major thing that they thought Jim Phillips could do is convince Notre Dame to become a full member of the Big Ten in football. Now, he's going to be the ACC commissioner. And with that, we get a taste. We got a taste of how Notre Dame is in the ACC in football this season. And the thinking is, Notre Dame doesn't really believe that being in the ACC in football hinders them in any way, other than on the money front. They're playing for the ACC championship Saturday. They're... They, if they win, they go to the college football playoff. Phillips has, as Sam said, has serious ties to Notre Dame. He was there under Kevin White. He worked with Bubba Cunningham there as well. It still seems like a tall task, but the Big Ten thought that Jim Phillips was the one guy that could get Notre Dame to coalesce around the Big Ten and joining them in all sports, including football. If he can do that for the ACC, Jason, we've talked about the financial concerns for a lot of these institutions. If Notre Dame and that $20 million extra a year, whatever that is, uh, comes into the ACC in football, I think that grows exponentially because not only will you get that money in the next deal, that's probably translates into you know, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars, but you also, it's going to be like Winthorpe and Valentine and, and trading places when they're, when they're selling stocks, when, when they're just trying to buy all the stocks, everyone is going to be applying to be that 16th team in the ACC to complete a, two, you know, a super conference, and they're just going to be sitting there like, which team do we want? Because they'll be able to do that with Notre Dame behind that. With that Notre Dame backing, the Big Ten no longer is, is top dog in as far as conferences go. It would be the ACC, and I think Jim Phillips, 
is the guy that could maybe get us over that line. I think that's why the ACC decided to pluck him. And I think that's why a lot of people in the Big Ten are really concerned that they just lost him. I'm not, by the way, worried that Jim Phillips is not going to work out as ACC commissioner. I, I think that his experience and his connections to the Big Ten and to Notre Dame are really important for the conference and, and were clearly considerations here. I just don't see it being that kind of next level guy. He's, he's, he's the next in the line of succession, I guess, but he's not the one that's going to completely overhaul what's going on in the ACC and in college sports. Right. And I do think, I, I think you're right there. I don't know that he's like, if he can, I think if he, if, if he can pull off Notre Dame, that's one thing that makes him, a, that makes him the star, but he's not a star entering that role yet. He has to get that star, you know, achievement. Right. But also Jason, I, I think when you were talking about moving the ACC headquarters somewhere, or at least doing things where, where it makes it more, you know, in the middle and, and focusing on other markets, you know, the ACC basketball tournament, in 2021 was supposed to be right here in Washington, DC. Of course it was moved to Greensboro because of the pandemic. But I also say this because I, as I've, as I've said many times in this podcast, Washington is not an ACC TV market. We're, we're sitting here and we were going to play a conference, a conference tournament in this city. And I can't get Duke games on TV because we are outside of the ACC market. So that sort of thing is what Jim Phillips is probably going to be working on. He can bring that outside perspective. Whereas, you know, and, you know, under the Swafford years, they would have said, yeah, you know, Jefferson pilot will, will take care of it. Or Raycom will take care of it. And you just hope that it's in your city. Now he's going to be focusing on getting the ACC network and getting ACC games everywhere in this country. What if Jim Phillips brings Maryland back to the conference? <laughs> no, no. Okay, so you know what? They decided to leave. They they should live with you know actions have. I'm not saying I'm not living. saying if I would support <laughs> or or be against that sort of thing. But just what if? That's my. It'd be funny. For the it'd day. be funny if he brought the pettiness to the ACC. If he was like, hey, you know, we're gonna bring the 16th team. Man, let's see, Rutgers. That's a possibility. Uh, Penn State. That's a possibility. And they're just looking everywhere around Maryland but not Maryland, but I digress. Uh, you guys are, you guys are great. I, I, the, the, the last thing I'll say about Jim Phillips is at least for the first time ever, the ACC will have someone in charge who has no vested interest necessarily in any of the programs. We mentioned he was at Notre Dame. I don't think anyone really expects him to play favorites with Notre Dame. Um, there are a lot of people who felt like there are certain schools that the ACC commissioner looked out for more than other schools, <coughs> Carolina, <coughs> Uh, and uh, at least now we have someone where it's going to be a lot harder to prove that or to show that. And, and, and I think that's a, probably a good thing for the health of the conference uh, as a whole. Look for Notre Dame or look for a Northwestern to play Duke a lot more in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. I'm just I'm just saying that might be a possibility. Okay, guys, we're about to wrap things up. Um, we got a couple other small little items that we want to go to. The first one is Donald. I'm going to let you take the lead on this. You saw something outrageous at Florida State the other day, right? You, you want to talk about this. Explain to people what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. So here's the thing. I'm going to tell you what I, I don't have a problem with and what I do have a problem with. Yesterday, there was uh, a, a picture uh, of the court, I guess, above the court uh, at FSU's arena. And FSU has a new banner. Uh, it is a number four final ranking banner uh, for 2020. Now, 
my problem is not with having a banner with the number four national ranking on it. Like Duke has a bunch that say number one. If you have a history like Duke, you probably wouldn't hang this. But if you have a history of, in basketball like Florida State does, then you probably hang something that says you were top five in the country one year. I have no problem with that. When you don't have a lot of history, you count any history that you can get. FSU doesn't have a lot of banners. They also hung an ACC championship banner. We, we didn't have an ACC tournament, but they were declared the champions. Totally fine with that. My problem is with is with is with what's on the banner. On the banner, it says NCAA canceled in reference to the fact that we did not have an NCAA tournament. And because of that, they finished number four in the final rankings. That part is dumb. Okay. And more importantly, it's redundant because the banner has 2020 on it. No one's going to look up in five, 10, 15 years and go, hey, mom, dad, like what happened in 2020? Why is it? Why is number four so bad? Everyone's going to remember that the NCAA season ended early without a tournament because of COVID. We're going to remember every detail of this year for the rest of our lives forever. So I'm fine with FSU putting up a banner for the top five ranking. I'm just tripping off the fact that they have to remind us that 2020 was the worst year ever by putting canceled on their banner. Cancel that banner. Just cancel it. Auction it off. Raise money for athletics, non-revenue sports or something. Buy another banner. That makes sense. If you're going to be part of the big dogs, you want to create some history. You got to create some history with these banners, man. You got to make sure you come correct. Don't do Don't cancel your own banner. That's just stupid. All right. So the thing I'll say about that banner is if Duke football finished number four in the national polls one year. Oh, I would hang a banner in a heartbeat. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that part. But yeah. we wouldn't we wouldn't cancel it. We wouldn't say canceled. Like we're smarter yeah. than that. Look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fight you on that. I think you're absolutely right. I don't know why they put the canceled thing. It it it, it almost diminishes. I, I my bet is someone said, "Hey, that looks like we made the final four. And they went, "Oh, we have to explain there was no final four that year." Like, how how much explanation needs to go on these banners? You know, you finished number four in the national rankings. Just just say it, own it, love it, appreciate it, and be excited about it. And then the other thing is, if I was a Florida State fan. And with the trajectory that their basketball program's on, I would dearly look forward to the day that that banner comes down, that we go, you know what? We don't need to remember the year we were number four anymore. Look, like you said, Donald, at Duke, if we remembered years we were number four, it'd be laughable. We'd have nothing but banners hanging. Oh, wait, we already have nothing but banners hanging from the ceiling. But Duke's like in the top four all the time. That's like not an accomplishment. We only note it when we're number one. If I'm Florida State, I'm looking forward to the day where we take it down because we have done so much else that being number four one year wasn't that big a deal. I'm glad they celebrated it because I think it's, it, it's, it's the highest final ranking that Florida State has ever had. I do think it's weird to have the word canceled on a banner. So I don't know. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a better design for that. All right, guys, last item on our agenda. We're going to be very quick about this. Uh, we just want to give a little tip of the cap to, uh, you know, this guy's become like our favorite Dookie. There, there's little question about that. Uh, Henry Coleman. Uh, they're, they're Duke sent out a press release this week, and I just want people to be aware of this very quickly. Uh, Virginia Business Magazine. Virginia Business said uh, there are 100 people in Virginia that, that make the Commonwealth a more interesting and innovative place to live and work. And they said, these are the 100 people you need to meet in 2021. This is looking ahead. If you're in Virginia business, here are the 100 people that you need to meet and pay attention to, the movers and shakers, so to speak, people who make Virginia a more interesting and innovative place. And Henry Coleman, Duke basketball player Henry Coleman, not involved in business at all. I'm not aware of Henry doing any kind of business stuff. 
Virginia Business Magazine says Henry Coleman is one of the people you need to meet in the year 2021. Henry, of course, is from uh, Richmond. Um, so he's he's part of the, the the Commonwealth. They they put him, by the way, in the angels section. They have different sections um, because they noted the the impression that he made on the Duke community related to the the whole Black Lives Matter and and social justice and and how Henry spoke out so eloquently and emotionally earlier this summer and and how you know even as a freshman the entire Duke team had come together behind his words. So I I, I just wanted to to note it. It's, it's a nice honor for Henry. I think the first of many. This guy is just such uh, an amazing guy. I'm really glad that, that you decided to tip hats because I don't know how many hats you have. But luckily for this podcast, I collect hats. So we can toss as many hats as we need to him over the course of the year. We've already done a lot. And I'm happy to, uh, if he's a seven and a half, I got plenty of hats for him that I could tip to. This is just another example of this man, young man already doing a lot of great things at an age that I was hoping to do great things. So uh, uh, congrats to him on that honor. Uh, it's well-deserved already. Uh, looking forward to many, many more honors from him. I was just interested that they decided to put him in the angels category. If you look at the Virginia business article that this was announced in, they, they, you said, Jason, that they had all these different categories. And I thought, well, he does kind of look like a builder and an impact maker and an innovator. And he's also a new folk. He's a, he's, he's only 18 years old. So uh, interesting that he's in the angels category, but good for him. Yeah. So congrats to Henry and uh, you know, just a fun little interesting factoid about him. Folks, if you haven't gone back and listen to the, some of the past podcasts where we just gush about Henry Coleman, uh, you know, such a remarkable guy. We did, he, he, he had a media av- availability earlier this year and, and we just can't stop talking about the fact that this is a guy who, whose favorite author is, sorry, his favorite transcendentalist is Henry David Thoreau. Anyone who has a favorite transcendentalist is a friend of the DBR podcast. And so on that fun, happy note about Henry Coleman, that's going to wrap it up for this episode, number 261 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Folks, remember, we want you to interact with us. We want you to leave us reviews. We got a review the other day from a a listener named Coot55. He's been listening for years. He says we do a great job being super fans. That is what we are. We are not experts. We are just super fans out here trying to relate to all of you and make all of you feel a little bit closer to the full Duke community. Leave us a five-star review. We'll read it here on the air like we just did with Coot55's review. Also send us email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. That is our email address, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Send us an email. We may read it here on the air. Um, and uh, you know, like, and subscribe, all that kind of stuff so that we can hear from you as much as possible. It, we're coming up to the holidays. That does not mean that we're going to be going away or taking extended breaks. There will be more Duke content even after Duke isn't playing basketball games and come back tomorrow. Cause tomorrow we'll be talking about the Notre Dame game, Duke's last game of 2020. Thank God. 2020 is about to be behind us. As we spoke about, we hate 2020 awful, awful, awful year, but for Donald and Sam, I am Jason. And this is the Duke Band to take us home.